You know, we took on Esther and Leroy Skillet, what you saw on Savage and Son. Every day, you too young for that. You didn't. I watch it. They look, TV Land got me right. TV Land got me right on the repeats. Go ahead. <laughs> the reruns. Okay. Okay. <laughs> TV Land so, got you right. So you. Uh -huh. you <laughs> I know. I watch Sanford and Son. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Celebrities behind the scenes. It's refreshing, authentic, the whole story, specific, life-altering events to shape the person that you hear. We got a champion and carry champion. Hey, girl, you did it. It's the greatest in sports and entertainment. Get naked with us. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Naked. I appreciate you guys listening. I got to take a moment to talk about what's been going on in the world. But trust me, it does have everything to do with our, our latest guest. It has been a week for me. And I'm talking for me only. It's been a week filled with anxiety, um, numbness, anger, frustration, tears, relief, every single emotion you could imagine. Uh, I have experienced it. I don't know about you, but if you are part of the culture, I'm sure you're right there with me. We were all waiting for a verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial. Guilty on all three counts. Great. I think the reason why I said great and you just heard that sigh was because my concern was that if in fact that officer was allowed to walk free, I, I really feared for my reaction, for the world's reaction. I know for a fact, and I'm not inciting any type of violence, don't at me, but it felt as if we would have burned this bitch down. That's exactly what it felt like. That's the feeling I had. Surprised that there was a guilty verdict on all three counts, right? No matter how brutal that video is, 
and how smug that officer looks, that former officer looks. I don't know what it takes in America to send a cop to jail for murdering someone. And then I think if it wasn't for that 17-year-old girl who had the guts and the wherewithal to, and even quite frankly, the, the, the mental fortitude to stay there pressing record watching that shit go down. I, I don't know. Although they were trying to intimidate her and tell her she shouldn't, she still did. Good for you. And then, and you guys have read what the police initially said. Man dies uh, in medical interaction after police incident. Something to that effect. That was, that was the press release when it first went down. So what if that video wasn't there? What if that... What if that evidence wasn't around? Well, we know it's not around more often than not, right? It is more common to not videotape an officer killing a person of color. The level of non-restraint that they do not display when dealing with black and brown people is disgusting. They have incredible restraint if you wanna attack the Capitol. They have incredible restraint if you want to murder, and I'm not being sarcastic here, if you want to commit mass murders, incredible restraint. We can bring you in. We can go get you something to eat. We can talk to you because you're one of ours. We understand. You can walk down the street like Kyle Rittenhouse did with a gun, and we can just ignore you and understand you're just a citizen with the right to bear arms. And then there is a, a young lady, not even a young lady, a little girl, a teenager with a butter knife shot four times in the chest. All of it is too much. It is all too much. But our resilience, and I'm talking about black people, is just in our DNA. We don't know anything else but to be. We're exhausted, we're tired, we're frustrated, we're sad. I'm over my tears, but we are resilient. We are our own street politicians. We are our own civil rights leaders in so many different ways. And there is so much fear happening right now. And I'm not talking about our fear. Fear from those who see us standing up, who see us refusing to let this happen. People with power and platforms like mine, like athletes, like whomevers, and you don't even have to have a huge platform, but we aren't taking it anymore. And, and the fear is palpable. So that's when the lies start to come in. And that's when the, the unnecessary responses about, well, what about this? And what about that? And and George Floyd was on drugs and, you know, the little girl was, you know, a danger to everyone. And I mean, come on, come on, save it. I, George Zimmerman chased Trayvon Martin's ass down the street. He didn't, I can't, I can't with this justice system. So let's talk about the system. The system that has failed us, the system that is not just. I felt that there was accountability with the verdict 
but you still can't be happy with that. You want to be, but you're like, eh. I mean, literally, it's no words. Then we also feel some joy, some relief, some justice. I mean, you feel all these different things. But at the end of the day, you know what it is, right? We all know what it is. So today's guest. Now, follow me because you might think, well, how does she go from this to that? He's a leader in his community. He's someone who had an image that many people felt was disturbing. The justice system tried to take away his right to free speech. He had a point there. He, he was someone who had to fight for free speech so that other artists who came behind him could do what they do. <laughs> he was someone who was, look, I mean, my mom probably wouldn't let me go to a concert of his, but he lived so that Megan the Stallion can live. <laughs> but he's also evolved. That is the beauty of who human beings are. We can evolve. We can start off as one thing and turn into something else. I say that because George Floyd could have started off as one thing. And if he had been allowed to live, he could have been something else. We had Steven Jackson on the podcast. He started off as one thing and he's now something else. The humanity or lack thereof for people of color is sad. And it's frustrating, but there's still work to do. And our next guest has done the work. I mean, legit has done the work. I'm talking about Luther Campbell. I'm talking about Uncle Luke. I'm not, you're like, how do you go from that to that? Trust me, it goes hand in hand. <laughs> I thought about him for a second. And as I talked to him, I didn't really get into the doo-doo brown of it all. <laughs> the hoochie mama of it all. But I did get into the fact that he is a 60-year-old man who has made some mistakes, admittedly. No regrets, but some mistakes, he'll tell you. Who has now been such a politician in his community uh, and has used his platform and his notoriety to help those who can't help themselves. This is the beauty of who we are. We are allowed to evolve if we are allowed to live. We can be something else. We could start one way. But we can be something else. I saw the humanity in Uncle Luke. I saw who he was and who he's been and who he now is. And that's a beautiful naked quality. He's a leader. And it started in Miami. That's where it started. So sit back, listen, enjoy. Uncle Luke has a lot to share. Enjoy the humanity of it all. I read <laughs> that you were, before you were a rapper, you were a cook. You had a lot of different jobs. You had a lot of different hustles. Talk to me about growing up in Miami and all of your hustles after you graduated high school. Man, I mean, growing up in Miami, uh, you know, when you're half Jamaican and you're half Bahamian, you know, most Jamaicans have a thousand jobs. 
in Bahamians, uh, we don't have but one job and we kind of slow down. So that, that's what kind of put me in a situation of getting all these different jobs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I started out as a pot washer on Miami Beach because, you know, that's where I was uh, at Mount Sinai Hospital. That's where I was going to high school at. And uh, eventually, you know, when I went to high school over there, I was, you know, they gave me a, little, a lot of odd end jobs. Uh, because, you know, I kind of got recruited to play football over there. Not too many African-Americans was going to Miami Beach unless you were playing sports at the local high school. And, and so I went, you know, I was a pop washing before you know it. My brother worked, my other brother, uh, younger brother worked, worked there as well. You know, the other ones eventually ended up went to college. I didn't go. I just stayed there and I went from pop washing to become a cook. On Thursdays, I would cook fried chicken and there'd be a line around the corner for my fried chicken. So I, I guess that was my specialty. I was a DJ at night and uh, cooking in the daytime. So then I started bringing down artists, you know, pretty much brought some of the first hip hop artists down to Miami, you know, from Run DMC to T. Laurent to, to Divine Sound, you name it. You know, I would bring all the artists down to Miami and, uh, you know, that was my little side job. When you have all of these talents, if you will, or maybe even jobs, was it for the money? Was it a hustle or was music truly your love and you knew that's what you excelled in? Yeah, music was my true love. You know, I, you know, my little spare time, I would intern at the radio station down here at 99 Jams and learn how, how, how that worked. And, uh, you know, I, you know, while interning, I kind of learned, you know, I learned how the record promotion pretty much works because back then, you know, you would, you know, the DJs played the records. It wasn't really programmed. And uh, most of the time the DJs was in the back with the girls and I would be playing the records. And uh, I loved it. I loved it. I loved the, you know, I love what I love most about music and being a DJ was when we would get all of our new records in on the record pool. And I would sit there and listen to every record before it hit the radio and then pick hits and say, this is gonna be the, the record here. And I think that was the gift that, that God gave me. And that kind of helped me uh, transition to being a uh, music executive. Visually, I see um, a young kid hungry and I don't know if you realize it, but it was fertile ground. Like Miami was all yours. Like there was so many things that you were ultimately going to do. But talk to me about the Miami scene when you were working as a DJ and working at the record studio, at the radio station. What was it, what did it look like or feel like? Because I think it's changed a lot. So what does what did it look like if someone wasn't born then or didn't know what it was then? Man, it was, it was the South you know, uh, with a lot of Caribbean in it. To be a great DJ, you had to have a gift gab over the microphone, but at the same time, you had to have 30, uh, 34 speakers. Uh, you had to have 64 speakers after the 34. You always had to have a whole bunch of speakers. And then during those times, again, you know, the, the music was very up-tempo. You would play a lot of reggae. You would play a lot of Calypso music. We would do all these big beach parties, which we called a splashdown, which was our summer parties. And so back then it was, you know, you do the big peach party. 
I mean, you would you would have gotten in before you know it. You end up doing the skating rinks and all that. And so Miami back then was it, it was what you saw in the Scarface movie mm-hmm. from the uh, the adult side of it, but then you know from the younger side of it, it was I mean it was just fun. It was just sun and fun and 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 all of the above. I mean you know you live in a place a paradise where you can go to the beach at any given time. And at that time we had our own beach, which was uh, called Virginia Key Beach. That was the the black beach. I mean, you go to the beach on 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 the weekends and you partied hard and, and me going to beach high, uh, going to school on Miami Beach, you're two blocks away from the, from the beach. So it was a lot of partying, a lot of fun and, you know, back then, you know, in the 80s and the 90s, it was what it was. I mean, you had the influx of uh, Cuban refugees, you know, coming from Cuba. So it was, Miami was making a transition. When did you know that you would become a major figure, historian, truly the godfather, if you will, of Miami? Like when, you can't say Miami and not think of you in any aspect of entertainment. When did, when did that become clear to you? What year was that? How I was kind of raised, I think I was raised to, to eventually take on that role because I had an older uncle and my dad and they would teach me about the struggle. Uh, and they would always tell me, uh, you know, my mom would say, oh, you're named after Martin Luther King. You're gonna do great things. Uh, so I kind of, eventually, you know, kind of took on uh, them and the teachings of, of these guys about, you know, uh, our history. We ended up uh, in a big riot uh, because the police officer came, started calling us all types of names. And I stood up in the middle of the crowd and said, F you, Mr. Police, uh, <laughs> before NWA. And we ended up having a big riot. And so I became the spokesperson of the park in our neighborhood because I'm the guy that stood up to this big bad police officer. So I, I think uh, at that period of time, I, I think that's when I kind of figured that I would be the spokesperson for my community, not knowing how much of it. Uh, and then, you know, when we start doing the music. What year was that when you stood up and was like, fuck you police? 76, Seventy-six. Let's consider that for a moment. Year. <laughs> yes. So in 1976, you've already took took on a civil rights role, if you will, leader, if you will, in this community that you call home. Um, and then you eventually transition into Uncle Luke in, uh, and have this group, Two Live Crew. Uh, from my understanding, you had an ear for music, as you just described. You bring them over from California, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. And, and you all start to make music. Music before, or was it around the same time NWA was in trouble? Was it before NWA started getting in trouble or was it around the same time? Uh, uh, we, were, we were before NWA. Uh, yeah. I mean, what it, what, how, how that happened, again, me, I, you know, my whole thing, I thought I was gonna be a big time uh, concert p- promoter. You know, that was my thing in being a DJ. I wanted to be like Al Heyman and Ricky Walker, guys who used to do the Fresh Festival and all that. That was my whole thing. I I, I did not want to be in the music business. And like I say, I, 
I, you know, in our dances in the parties, we would create these these dances. You know, that's what our little gimmick was. And so I had this one song called "Ghetto Jump," play a you know the uh, country western song, and say everybody ghetto jump, and then everybody the whole crowd jumps. And so I had a group of guys say, hey, "Look, do the song and just do me a free uh, show," because I gave the idea, and then they didn't they reneged. And so two live crew coming out. Okay, I got a new, a different dance called Throw the D. And the girls throw the pee. And then do this song right here. And so, you know, one thing led to the next. And then I was like, okay, we got to get money off of this song. So I took the song to uh, some of the uh, local, local distributors. And they said, well, we can't pay you unless you give us another song. And we did the song. And uh, that's how I got stuck in the music business. Wait a second. So wait, are you telling me you you weren't you had no intentions of ever really being in a group in that two life crew as we know it, Uncle Luke, as we know it, Doodoo Brown, as we know it, all started off of all right, let me just do this because I had to do this. It wasn't intentionally set out that you were no. going to be a artist and start no. rapping. Not at all. Not at all. That's beautiful because Sometimes when we're just saying water is wet, sky is blue, we're we're earth shattering. We're doing things that have never been done before. It's revolutionary. One revolutionary moment, if you look back in history, because, you know, we always like to put things in tight little boxes. 1990, I believe, there was a club that you performed at and you got arrested. Club, was it Ventura? How do you pronounce Ventura, that? Ventura, <laughs> yeah. Hollywood, Florida. Oh. Hollywood, Florida. At that period of time, you know, uh, you had this Chef Navarro, which I think was the first reality TV show superstar. Him and Geraldo would be running around. Again, you're too young for that. Would be Geraldo running Rivera? around. Geraldo Rivera? Geraldo Rivera. Yeah, I'm a, listen, I am a student. I know, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so Geraldo, Geraldo had this, this police officer, uh, Nick Navarro, and he would go and they would... You know, during that time, again, Miami was cocaine, cowboy, crack heaven, uh, cocaine everywhere. It's coming in on the ships, and and Gerardo would follow this sheriff into bus, going into these areas and busting these people. So he was a celebrity sheriff on TV, and uh, and then the celebrity chef say, "Okay, I'm gonna get this two live crew music off the shelf." So he eventually ended up. Um, he eventually ended up, you know, going to a record store, taking the record off the shelf. Uh, at that time, then the judge Gonzalez eventually deemed the record obscene. And so when he did that, I was like, I was like, fuck it. We gonna go do, we, I don't care. This is free speech. We're gonna go do a show in Hollywood, in his jurisdiction to, to let him know that we, that we're about this life. And so, you know, uh, I, we went to the club and I said, look, guys, if you win it, I'm willing to get arrested. And I know the police going to be out there. You can see them. You can tell the police. I mean, if you drew, if you grew up in the hood, you know the police comes in with baseball caps that don't even look like they fit with the jersey on. They're brand busting. And they got tight outfits on. Like, yeah, hey, all over. He's the police. He's the police. And uh, went out there and sung the songs. And they said, if you sing the songs, of a record that was deemed obscene, then you're gonna go to jail. I was like, okay, we're going to jail. In that moment, did you understand how pivotal that was? How defining that was for the future of hip hop? 
No, I, I wasn't thinking about, I was just, you know, I was just more so thinking about how, how somebody is going to tell me what to do uh, when I know it's right. You know, when I know uh, Andrew Dice Clay is doing his type of music and he's not getting thrown in jail. And I know Madonna is on stage doing her, her set and she's not getting thrown in jail. And it became, it became for me, uh, whether or not a black man is able to uh, have free speech in this country. And so I said, I'm gonna challenge that. I'm willing to go to jail. You know, I remember uh, back then, you know, some ladies from a PTA in Alabama said, our kids are listening to this music. You know, and, and before you know it, uh, Tipper Gore uh, would focus on the family, her little organization, Al Gore's uh, wife. Wife, uh, yeah. And the Family Christian Association. Uh, and all these were white organizations uh, that, that had a problem with the music. You know, I remember sitting many nights by the pool saying to myself, what the hell am I doing? Why am I into it? And why am I... You know, and I will always revert back to what my parents taught me about uh, having them invisible chains on the, on you and either you're going to fight and stand for something or you're going to fall for anything. And I just yeah. had to make up my mind at that point I was going to be a fighter. You ever look back, you're um, a father, you uh, a community leader, a coach, all these different things, people very well respected, I believe, in the community once um, considered infamous, now respected and loved. It always works that way. I like the infamous part. I like being infamous. I like to be the guy with the black hat. Sure, sure. The, the, the bad guy. It's, I'm the bad guy. Why? Why though? Why though? Why being the bad guy? The bad guy. The bad guy always get the pretty girls. <laughs> well, if you look back, is there anything that you do differently? You know, I, I wouldn't change nothing because I think if I would have altered one thing, if I would have said, I'm not going to jail uh, tonight, I'm scared. I'm not taking on this fight. I'm not taking my money and fighting for hip hop and free speech and parody and whether it's protected by, then we wouldn't have Saturday Night Live uh, making skits or anybody poking fun because of parody. And we wouldn't have Lil Wayne and and uh, Drake and everybody else being able to say the same thing, say the things that they're saying on the on the record because you know the records were deemed obscene, and it would have been case law. And with that case law, um, uh, they would have been using it right now today for every other hip hop artist that they wanted to attack. So I felt like it was it was just my business to do it, and it was again it was the perfect storm. I was the perfect person. Because you do th you did things that people were not doing on stage today. No, not, no. not not performing like Drake. You mentioned Drake and Lil Wayne. They couldn't probably get away with some of the things you did on stage. No, let me tell you. During those times, I would look at Rick James and Madonna. Oh Lord, okay. <laughs> I would hear about the stories about Rick James and what he was doing on stage, and I was like, "Fuck that! I'm gonna do this here." And so so. <laughs> It became, it became, Rick James ain't gonna outdo me this week. And there we go. And oh, and now Madonna got the girls on stage and they're kissing each other. Well, we're gonna have the girls on stage naked with each other. Right. <laughs> yeah, you just one <laughs> level above. Just, just keep topping what they're doing. You're doing that? I'm gonna go one more. I'm topping, I'm gonna go exactly. Okay. I'm topping everybody. So the show <laughs> became kind of wow. 
We got Uncle Luke in the house, but we got to pay some bills. We'll be back in just a few moments. Every champion and carry champions to be a champion. A champion and carry champion and carry champion. A champion and carry champion and carry champion. Greatest, greatest in sports and entertainment connected with. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. 
We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the second half of this edition of Naked with Luther Campbell. I got to point this out. Um, What he did, whether we understood it or whether we could appreciate it in that moment, was life changing for so many artists, specifically rappers. Um, It birthed, as he mentioned, the likes of a Drake or a Little Wayne or, you know, my personal favorite, Megan. She can do no wrong. Let me let me just tell you, I'm a savage. Classy, bougie, ratchet, sassy, moody, nasty. Hey, acting stupid was happening. That is, let me tell you something. Come on. That's a whole mood. And even to this day, there's always a white man in this particular case, a congressman named Glenn Groffman from Wisconsin, who was on the Congress floor just this week saying, "Uh, you know, I don't appreciate that WAP, uh, that video. It, I, I mean, it, it amazes me that white men still make rules to control people and we allow it. That's the part you have to think about. We are in the situation that we are in right now because nine times out of 10, a white man determines the rules that we live by that don't fit or advocate for us if you are black or brown or marginalized. I applaud what Luke did. Y'all may not like the way he went about it. Some may disagree with it. But in hindsight, which is 2020, very cliche, this man was revolutionary. And I'm not kidding. And he doesn't get the respect that he deserves. And that is probably because there may have been some incidents in which women were doing things they should be doing on stage. (laughs) There may have been some subjectification. There may have been some disrespect. There may have been some uh, mistakes, as I mentioned earlier. I don't want to get into it because I do want to focus on what he has done and the president in which he has said. But it's all full circle. It always takes a leader. It takes somebody to be the first. And when you're the first, it comes with bumps, bruises, cuts, all of that. None of it's easy. None of it's easy. And so now he finds himself no longer really involved in the rap scene, right? He's no longer, music isn't at the forefront of his career. He starts to transition. He now is someone who is, as I mentioned, a street politician. He's in the community. He's heavy. He has influence. He makes things happen. He has helped children in Liberty City and other places in Miami that have gone on to do great things, more specifically in sports. He names them. And we've seen it. Luther. Luther, not the singer, but Luther, E-R, is a leader. That is his naked quality. I see a man before me that is 
very polished. I know that there's more to you, right? I can't, I can't limit you to just being Uncle Luke to live crew. I can't. I know that you have been able to, and I hate this word, but use your brand and make it bigger and better. As you got away from music in that capacity, where did you start to find your voice and your other passion? I would say in sports, I always wanted to figure out how could I give back, uh, but give back with information. It was two things that I did when I got my first big check was buy my mom a bigger house. And then the second thing was to start my youth program so no other kid would have to get bused to Miami Beach like I had to go to Miami Beach and come back home in the wee wee hours of the night. And uh, eventually, you know, and this is our 31st year of my youth program. Eventually, I said, when my career kind of died down, then that's what I want to do. You know, uh, you know, I want to go out and coach and I want to be more active in my program. And with me being more active in my program, I get to hear the stories about the struggles of the average family, the kids, the struggles that the kids go through and help fix, uh, try and fix some of those things. And so when you're dealing with youth and you're dealing with parents and families, now that becomes, you now have to deal with government and how to help these families uh, succeed. And so uh, that just became my passion. I, you know, I, you know, and I always said, I'm not gonna leave Miami. Uh, like most people, they get successful and they'll leave and go to Hollywood or they'll go to New York. I had all those opportunities, uh, but I just felt like it was my responsibility to stay here, to be able to have these kids be able to look up and see something different and be able to help them, uh, you know, inspire them to be able to do uh, the things that they want to do. And so that that's, you know, that's my whole thing now, just, you know, it's been that way for years. It's been that way from day one. And so I, I look at the pit bulls and all them when I discovered them and, and the trick daddies of the world and seeing that these guys were hustling drugs on the streets and to be able to just give them a hug and say somebody loves you and you have a talent. And then to be able to be the proud uncle to see how successful they are in business as well as their career. And uh, other kids, whether who came through our program, whether it's the middle linebacker for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Duke Johnson, or Devontae Friedman, and all these, Chad Johnson, who was a little kid that came out of our program. He was the first player, kind of helped me. Uh, he was the one, I, the reason why I kind of started the program, because uh, they had nowhere to play. And so when I look at all these success stories, I, I'm like, this is my passion and then I get into politics. I get into politics and basically, if I don't endorse you in Miami, uh, you don't win as a mm -hmm. political candidate. So that allows me to then do more things for people in the community and our community. What a beautiful evolution. I mean, it is. If you think about the chef, DJ, radio guy, club promoter, rapper, accidentally, father in the midst of all of this, right? In, in, in the midst of all of that, let's not forget that because that also changes how you approach life. Turned, and you've always been the, the, the 
I dubbed you just now the civil rights leader in your community. Then you found your passion in helping kids, and not just kids, some real no-brainers, some kids that have went on to do some major things. Chad, major things, great guy, work with him still to this day. You mentioned Devonta Freeman, like the list is amazing. So I think the beauty of your story and watching you evolve is that the community, more specifically the black community gives you that, that grace and mercy to do so. We know that you can be many things, you know, mm-hmm. during many different times in your life. When do you sit and think about that and how I, I outside looking in, I'm, I'm humbled by that. When do you sit and think about that and think, wow, this is a big deal. Or you don't? I don't. I just, <laughs> I really don't. It's always something different. You know, there's always another uh, part of my community that needs fixing. It's another street. It's another politician that that is not doing the right thing that we have to then mobilize people to get another politician. It's always something to do. So I really, you know, it's a big scope as to what you want to see uh, in your community. You know, it's all, it's, it's, but it's always something is gentrification is uh, the way uh, African-Americans are getting treated. You know, it, 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 it's, it's just, it's always something. So I'm always uh, working for the, for the greater good uh, for, for my people and the community. So I, you know, but I love it. I'm passionate about it. And, you know, I have the respect of the, you know, the mayor and senators and, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, congressmen and congresswomen and all that. I have their respect. And when I call, you know, I know I have a tendency of getting things done. And it's not for me, it's for, uh, for, the, for the, the silent majority, the voiceless. Talk to me about the management company. Oh. The management company. You were like, wait, what are we doing? Where's she going? <laughs> I know, right? I know, right? Hey, yeah. what, she, uh, what are we talking about? They must be told you about the management company. I didn't tell nobody about it. I it's mean, breaking news. Yes, that is breaking news. Uh, I, you know, I look at, you know, I, you know, when when I was when me and the wife was together, uh, and we worked with these. Uh, the football players that came out of the program and, uh, you know, did great with these young men. Uh, and I, and, and the reason why, you know, I kind of got into it and encouraged her to get into it because I just saw so many kids in our program coming back home, you know, broke, you know, uh, and then you read the books and you hear the stories and, you know, in Miami being a rich area for, top NFL talent as well as baseball. And you see these kids, you know, leave and they go with million dollars, come back millions of dollars and they come back and they ask for a job on the park. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why I got into it. And I, I said, I didn't, I wasn't gonna let, uh, I wasn't gonna let, I wasn't gonna, whether I'm getting a divorce from with my wife, I wasn't gonna divorce myself from helping these mm. kids when they get to that point, because I think uh, what we have to offer, and then now these young men are now getting ready to get paid in college, you know. Uh, and I have some five-star football players on my team, and 
and they're getting big money, hundreds of thousands of dollars thrown at them right now. And so if I, I know that a kid, uh, NFL player, when you, I forget the name of the book, uh, but most NFL players, they don't spend the money. It's the family that spends the money and eventually run them broke. And so when you're looking at these kids that are coming from these blighted neighborhoods, now getting $100,000 or $50,000 or $10,000 more money than they've ever seen in their life, which they're going to start getting this year, that's going to take a toll on them because you got the adults uh, that can't function when they left college uh, and they're taking a beating and weighing down on their families. So I said to myself, there's two reasons why I want to start this uh, sports management company to be able to help mentor them and help their families understand that, uh, you know, this is not, this not the, don't, this don't tear them down because they're getting this, this little bit of money. It's a big picture. Uh, and then at the same time, I looked at how African-American coaches, African-American coaches are, are not represented. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, uh, you know, and I have a lot of, friends that are coaches and I say a lot of tough things and I get a lot of calls from a lot of black coaches. Thank you for uh, standing up for us. But then I look at them, not every year we have this conversation why black coaches are not getting a job uh, at this NFL team or why black coaches are not getting a job at this uh, opportunity at this uh, university. And then I look at the grand scheme of things and I say, okay, CAA is representing everybody. And mm -hmm. Jimmy Sexton, who was a good friend of mine, is representing uh, most of these guys from the Nick Sabans to everybody else. And then you have a little, another guy on the side representing the African-American coaches, which is not pushing them to be able, putting them in a position to be able to get those big jobs. So I think a lot of African-American coaches are not being fully represented to be able to, uh, get these jobs. They need an, uh, uh, another person, you know, like myself, to be able to go and speak on their behalf and compete with Jimmy on helping these guys uh, get the opportunity that they deserve because it shouldn't be just you, which is a great thing, you know. And right now, you know, we're seeing the, you know, the, the professional players, the Hall of Famers, are now going to HBCUs, which is which is a which great is what thing. they. Yeah, I think that's great. I think I I think it, I mean you know I talked to Ed Reed and I'm like Ed you you need to do it you know and on top of that why go to these schools especially even for our kids but as a coach why go to these schools when they don't respect you and they don't give you the same money and they don't treat you the same way and they'll fire you in a minute on some bull and they'll let these other crooks sit there all day and I don't think that we should be giving them our talent for free anymore like they ice not colder and if we get together as a community and understand that. It is game changing. They will it, have to it, come to us. It, it, it is game. It is game changing. And like you know, I look at it as this would be a great time to to, to go into representing coaches. Uh, you know, I already worked with a few coaches and and to push these guys toward historical black colleges as well as the other colleges and giving them an opportunity and and having the conversations with the. You know, I've had a couple of conversations with the conferences and saying, "Hey, look, you need to." I mean, tighten up, you know, at some point you're going to have to, you, you're going to have to fight the powers that be, which is the networks to be able to get yourself put in a situation where you can get a big multi-million dollar contract. So you can spread that money 
within the conference so you could be able to compete with these uh, uh, white colleges. What's the name of the company? It's called Loop Sports. I think I know what your naked quality is from the outside looking in. But when you are your most vulnerable, when you take off your hat, when you're not coaching, when you're not talking to kids, when you're not helping, you're not a street politician and you're not two live crew or Uncle Luke, father, mother, whatever, you know, father, dad, you, who are you when you're your most vulnerable? Who gets to see that? Who, that's... Like when you drop thug tears, you know what I mean? Like when you like, shit hurts. I'm tired. <laughs> I feel, I feel, I don't feel appreciated. And, and black men, especially y'all don't like to do that, but y'all do it with somebody. I don't know who it is, but you do it with somebody. And what does that look like? Everything that I'm surrounded is with my son. And I think uh, because it's just me and him when he's over here with me, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm dad to him. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's, uh, I guess that's probably what defines me. Uh, and mm. and uh, at the end of the day, it's me and him. You know, that's what I live for. I mean, I work every day for him. Uh, and that is, that's just, that's just, he's just my entire life. Aww, that was sweet. <laughs> I talked about this. The evolution of Luther Campbell is really something special to watch. I mean, at least for me in terms of the history of it all. He mentioned he was named after Martin Luther King Jr. Now, nobody would have thought that while they was doo-doo browning. Now, right? I want to rock doo-doo brown. What? Martin Luther King? No, his mother knew. The mamas always be knowing. <laughs> but it is a beautiful thing. All jokes aside, it is a beautiful thing to watch someone have a message, have a purpose for their message, and it comes full circle. He talks of a world in which he knew he was not being treated fairly. And it seemed very self-specific, but it goes such a long way and it means so much for so many other artists. He's still to this day, as he announced exclusively here, his new management company, Luke Sports, is doing what he does best. That's helping those, being a father figure, being a leader. He's always done it. The goal with Luke Sports is to make sure these black and brown coaches are being treated just as fairly, being compensated just as well as these other coaches are being treated that don't look like us. To me, that's huge. Working together, making sure that we build together as a community, make money together as a community, have our freedom together as a community. I appreciate that about him. I respect the evolution and the revolution <laughs> that was televised and we watched it. Luther Campbell truly is one of a kind. And although people may only remember him as a member of two live crew, strip clubs, girls, those things, there's so much more. The humanity people. If this week has not taught us anything, it is to really, truly find the likeness in who we are. Because once we do that, once we can identify 
someone's qualities and can relate to who they are as a human being, we have empathy for them. We don't sit on their necks for nine minutes and 29 seconds. We don't shoot them in the chest four times. (sighs) They're human to us. And that's the problem. The problem in the world that we live in is that, one, a lot of black and brown people, marginalized folks, are not allowed to evolve and grow and be more. They can only be seen as one way based on the community they live in, based on how they walk or talk. They can only be that one thing, and that just isn't fair. It has been a rough time. I'm not even putting a period on it. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough month. It's been a tough 2020, tough 2021, but it has been rough, period. It's just been, it's just been hard. It's just that simple. And it's exhausting. But we got to fight. We got to be leaders. We don't have to go to the Supreme Court and demand our free speech, but we do have to be leaders in our community. We have to be leaders in our homes. We have to lead by example. Whatever that looks like for you, that's what we got to do. And then we also have to have enough grace and mercy to let ourselves and others evolve. Congratulations to Luther Campbell and his new sports endeavor, Luke Sports. I think it's beautiful and I love the idea and I support it. And then I want to take a moment to tell you all to be kind to yourselves. Take care of your mental. Because shit is real out here. Thank y'all for listening. Back again next week. One time, side note, I'm going to wrap the podcast on this. This will be funny. Her birthday was when you, we were obviously at ESPN, but maybe it was 2016 or 17. And we were in Miami for the weekend. And she was like, Luke, going to take us to the strip club. You ready? And I was like, I'm ready. What happened? And then I think, you know, we was old. We went to bed at three. You was like, I just get out the house at three. What you talking about? I was like, it's 3 a.m. Exactly. In Uncle, my- I'm asleep. You don't leave to go to the club at two o'clock in the morning. We, I missed you then, unfortunately. But I do, I do remember thinking, "Wow, what an epic night that would have been if I would have got out the house." But it was three a.m. I had to shut it down. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast "Creating a Con: The Story of Bitcoin." This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how three twenty-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.